Thank you for listening to Radio Maria England. We now present the sacraments. Hello, my name is Father Colin Carr, I'm a Dominican friar, and I'm going to talk about the sacrament of matrimony. This is the last talk in the current series. Sacraments are ways of meeting God through everyday things. They're God's way of showing us how to be human in the way Jesus was human. One of the ways human beings show their humanity is by sharing their life with another human being and in due course creating a family. This suggests that the two human beings are a man and a woman, and this is what the sacrament of matrimony is about. But there are many people who are not attracted to the opposite sex, there are many who don't feel comfortable with the gender they have been given, and others who don't feel themselves to be clearly male or female. The Catholic Church does not exclude anyone from the love of God, but does say that this particular sacrament is for a couple consisting of a man and a woman. Just to set the tone, here is one of the vows that people make in the marriage service. The bride or the groom says... I call upon these persons here present to witness that I, A, B, do take thee, C, D, to be my lawful wedded wife or husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. In this session, we look at three questions. One, what kind of a thing is marriage? Two, what does Christian marriage say about the church? And three, what does it say about God and God's relationship to us? I'll deal with the first two in the first half of the talk. So, first of all, what is marriage? Along with the sacrament of order, ordination to the priesthood and the diaconate, it is one of the two sacraments which, as the Catechism says, are directed to the salvation of others. Quoting an important document of the Second Vatican Council, the Catechism says, Christian spouses are fortified and, as it were, consecrated for the duties and dignity of their state by a special sacrament. A man and a woman joined in marriage are no longer two, but one flesh, as the book of Genesis says, and as Jesus repeats. Humankind is made in God's image as male and female, as persons in relation, not simply as individuals. More about that when we come to talk about God. So what about people who aren't married? They are in no way inferior to those who are married, and the Catechism speaks of those who, to quote, live their situation in the spirit of the Beatitudes, serving God and neighbour in exemplary fashion. 
End of quote. Having said that we are in God's image as persons in relation, it is vital that we see each human individual as made in God's image. This becomes especially important if we have been brought up to see certain groups of people, certain types of people, as not our sort, or as odd, or other. Every individual and every type of person is part of God's family, and cannot be rejected by a Christian believer. Have I strayed off the subject of marriage? By no means. The love between a couple in marriage is a picture of the love which God has, and we are challenged to have, for every last person. One of the blessings at the end of the marriage ceremony says, May you be witnesses in the world to God's charity, so that the afflicted and the needy who have known your kindness may one day receive you thankfully into the eternal dwelling of God. For a marriage to be a marriage, it needs three things. It must be a free act. Each member of the couple must be able to consent to the marriage completely and freely, without bribery, blackmail, or bullying, or any form of compulsion. Even in cultures in which marriages are arranged, it must be possible for the couple, for each person in the couple, to make a free and informed consent to the marriage. So it's free. Then the marriage is faithful. And this means several things. It is exclusive in the sense that the couple stay married to each other and don't have other partners, ever. We will look at the question of when things go wrong later, but neither partner in the couple can enter a marriage thinking, oh, well, I'll give this a try, and if it doesn't work out, I'll be free to have another try with somebody else. This all means that it's for life, till death do us part, as the traditional wording of the vows puts it, and as we heard a moment ago. And the words which come before till death do us part are part of what faithful means. We heard those too, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. The couple do not promise each other a sunny honeymoon. They promise lifelong commitment to each other, whatever the circumstances. I have frequently been deeply moved by the loyal love shown by one partner to another who has become very poorly, physically or mentally, usually in later life. The caring partner will often say, quite matter-of-factly, that that's what they promised. The third thing is that the marriage should be fertile, not in the sense that all couples automatically have children, but there should be an openness to children, a willingness to welcome them into the world and to nurture them lovingly, so that they have an opportunity to flourish as human beings and to share their parents' faith. More of this when we come to when things go wrong. But whether or not a couple have children, the sacrament is consecrating them for mission in and with the Church, the task of welcoming others into friendship with Christ, of offering hospitality to those who are in need. Obviously, unmarried Catholics are also called to this mission through their baptism, their share in Christ's priesthood, 
But the fertility of marriage is not just about having children, but sharing the good news with all people. So far we've looked at what marriage is. Now we look at what Christian marriage says about the church. The church is the place where God meets humanity in love. Some of the prophets in the Old Testament saw God's relationship with his people in terms of a marriage, often with the complaint that his people had been unfaithful. But God was faithful and wanted to restore the relationship. The Song of Solomon is an extended poem about love, and many Jews and Christians see it as expressing the love between God and his beloved people. The New Testament continues this theme. In John's Gospel, Jesus performs his first sign, John's special name for his miracles, at a wedding. The Catechism says, The Church attaches great importance to Jesus' presence at the wedding at Cana. She sees in it the confirmation of the goodness of marriage, and the proclamation that thenceforth marriage will be an efficacious sign of Christ's presence. End of quotation. God does not give up on his love for his people, so his marriage to them is indissoluble. This is the basis for Jesus saying that, quoting from the book of Genesis, a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. And St. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, quotes the same verse from Genesis to back up his plea, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. He then quotes the passage about a man leaving his parents and clinging to his wife, and says, This is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. This equating of the, the man to Christ and the wife to the church may make it look as if the man is superior to the woman. But the church is quite clear that the man and the woman are equals, joint heirs to the life of grace, as one of the blessings in the marriage ceremony says. And the final book of the New Testament speaks of the Lamb, who is Christ, being married to his bride, the church. All of the church, men and women, are the bride of Christ. So the sacrament of matrimony is a sign of Christ's utterly faithful love for his church. In the second half of the talk, we shall look at what the sacrament of matrimony tells us about God and God's relationship to us, and then at some of the difficulties which can easily crop up. Thank you for joining me again. I am Father Colin Carr, a Dominican friar, and we've been talking about the sacrament of matrimony, asking what marriage is and what it says about Christ and the Church. Now we're going to look at what it tells us about God and what happens when things don't match up to the ideal picture. 
But before any of that, I want to draw attention to one special feature in which matrimony is different from the other sacraments. For the sacrament of the Eucharist, of reconciliation or confession, and for anointing of the sick, it has to be a priest who administers it. For confirmation, it's usually the bishop, but he can sometimes delegate that task to a priest. For ordination to the diaconate or the priesthood or the consecration of a bishop, the minister must be a bishop. For baptism, it's usually a priest, but a deacon can also baptize, and in an emergency, for example, when a newborn baby is very sick, anybody can baptize, provided they do what the church intends them to do. But in the Roman Catholic Church, the ministers of the sacrament are the couple themselves. The presence of the priest or deacon ensures that it is an act of the church, and the presence of witnesses ensures that it has been duly performed. But it is the couple who give their consent to each other, and then live that consent for the rest of their lives. The idea of sticking loyally to the marriage vows can seem like a very tall order. The strength to do it has to come from God. What sort of a God do we believe in? The God of the Bible is, above all, the loving God who makes a covenant with us. God calls the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob out of Egypt, where they have been slaves, into their promised land, via the desert, where he teaches them what it means to be his people. The Ten Commandments are a code for living as free people who choose to follow the God who has liberated them. Much of the Old Testament is about the loyalty or disloyalty of God's people, but even more fundamentally it is about the loyalty of God, who certainly allows his people to experience the unhappy effects of disloyalty, they get oppressed by other people and lose their freedom, but who never forgets them and brings them back to himself. The disloyalty is often likened to unfaithfulness in marriage, but God never breaks the covenant and restores the relationship. Ultimately, God shows his love for humanity by sending Jesus among us. Jesus tells people about God's love, but he demonstrates that love by his life, death, and resurrection. In that life, death, and resurrection, God deals with human disloyalty by a loyalty which brings forgiveness and healing and restores the hurt relationship giving us himself by the gift of the Holy Spirit. This generous, generously loyal God is the one who gives us hope that for all our failures he will never give up on us. And that hope can be an underlying strength in a marriage which is subject to all kinds of pressures in our modern world, financial worries, a society which doesn't rate faithfulness very highly, all kinds of stresses before and after any children come into the family, we could go on ad infinitum. But the point of a sacrament is that God is present to us in the ordinary business of life as creator and restorer. But things do go wrong, 
and marriages can reach a point of complete breakdown, however much hope and patience and forgiveness one or both partners have tried to show. This might lead to a civil divorce. It needs to be said that this does not exclude either party from communion. The Catholic Church teaches that marriage is indissoluble, so if either party later wishes to marry someone else, there is a problem. But being divorced civilly is simply a civil arrangement, and a divorced Catholic is free to go to communion. The issue of annulment is beyond the scope of this talk. Anyone who is troubled by this matter is very welcome to speak to us or to any priest individually. Another thing that seems to go wrong is that the Christian parents bring up their children to be followers of Jesus, for instance praying at home and going to church, as well as leading lives of kindness and love. And the children stop going to church and praying, even if they continue to be kind and loving people. Parents often ask, what did we do wrong? And the answer is, probably nothing. It's what happens, frequently, and parents needn't blame themselves. They have sown a seed in their children's hearts, and while it seems not to have germinated, there's no knowing what will happen in the future. Thank you for joining me in this talk. I would like to end with a blessing from the wedding service in just a moment. This is the last of the current series of talks, but we hope we may have more for you in the future. Keep in touch with Radio Maria England and with the Blackfriars website. Now let me read a blessing which is often said at the end of a marriage ceremony. May God, the Eternal Father, keep you of one heart in love for one another, that the peace of Christ may dwell in you and abide always in your home. May you be blessed in your children, have solace in your friends, and enjoy true peace with everyone. May you be witnesses in the world to God's charity, so that the afflicted and needy, now you've heard this bit before, so that the afflicted and the needy who have known your kindness may one day receive you thankfully into the eternal dwelling of God. And may Almighty God bless all of you who are gathered here, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining the Dominicans in Cambridge at Blackfriars for their presentation of sacraments. Now, if you have any questions from all the different sacrament presentations, please email info at radiomariaengland.uk. We do hope to have uh, Father Dominic, Father Ewan, Father Colin, Sister Anna, Sister Tamsin, Sister Magdalene, all Father Bob, <laughs> the whole group. Uh, able to answer some of the questions that you shared with us, please do email us at info at radiomariaengland.uk. And this has been The Sacraments. <laughs>